Hey there, e-commerce enthusiasts. Let me tell you about a game changer in shipping, ShipStation. It's the ultimate platform for simplifying your shipping process. With ShipStation, you can easily import, manage, and ship your orders in no time. It integrates seamlessly with your favorite e-commerce platforms and carriers, ensuring a smooth workflow. Gain valuable insights with their powerful analytics and reporting tools. Say goodbye to shipping headaches. Visit milwaukeemafia.com slash ship and level up your shipping game today. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric Walterkins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And we're back with our final mini episode. And we're going to kick it off with this final question, Gavin. All right. Ready? Yep. Bring it. Besides size, what major difference was there between the Milwaukee Mafia and Mafia groups in other cities? Well, the main difference is size. (laughs) (laughs) Besides size. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we've, uh, we've talked about this a couple times. What I find really interesting is how you can take any city, any major city in the country that has a mafia group, and you're going to see the same things come up again and again around the same time. Like the counterfeiting comes up around the same time. Prostitution really explodes around the same time and so on. So there is a lot of similarity more than there's difference. I'd say there's a few key things. It's kind of like what did Milwaukee focus in on that other cities did not? One, I would say garbage control. That was in the 1920s. And not that other cities didn't do it because they did try to get monopolies on garbage hauling in other cities. But I don't know that they actually, and I could be wrong, but as far as I know in other cities, they weren't actually working for the city itself. It'd be more like, you know, oh, well, you own a trucking company. You can hire us to do garbage. But they didn't work as a city employee, which is like the next step. Milwaukee was the only place that ever got somebody high enough up in that the ranks of the city employment that they could take control of that, basically. As far as I know, yes. Yeah. Do you think that a lot of, like, like you said, counterfeiting and all these different things happened at the same time? Mm-hmm. Is that because everybody's copycatting each other? Or is it just that these industries, for some reason, prostitution exploded at this same era? Mm-hmm. In everywhere in the country, and that's why the mafia got so big into them around the same I, I time. I think there's a lot of copycat going on. I think there's a lot of that where you see it's successful here, so we're going to try it too. I'm sure there's some of that, but I don't know how things become like the crime like of the moment, but there must be sort of factors that go into it about, you know, what's available, uh, what are the laws right now. And you can see that at any point in time. I mean, even now, today, not mafia specific, but meth is like a thing. <laughs> yeah. And people have done meth for a long time. Like, it's not a brand new thing. But I don't think it's gotten as huge as it has until fairly recently. And it's not like everybody in the country was like, hey, should we all start smoking meth? <laughs> like, it just sort of sprung up. 
So I don't know what made it the thing. Why instead of like in the 80s, everybody was snorting Coke. People still snort Coke, but not like they did in the 80s. 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what makes something big at one point in time or another. But whatever that thing is, certain groups are going to latch onto that. Cause that's where the money is. So there's that. Another big difference, We and we kind of talked about this one, is Prohibition. They did things during Prohibition. They did bootlegging and that sort of thing. But it wasn't the major boom that it was in Chicago or New York because the black market wasn't quite as black of a market. It's like... It wasn't that hard to get a drink if you wanted a drink in Milwaukee. So in Chicago, I mean, if you were bringing in Seagram 7, bottles of Seagram 7, just as an example, you could ask whatever you wanted for that. Because if somebody really loves it, they're going to pay it. Milwaukee, I don't think you're going to get as big of a markup because anybody can be like, yeah, I know a guy who can make me some beer or some whiskey or whatever. You know, he's not going to name brand stuff, but he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the market is as good. So it's weird that even though the mob in Milwaukee still got bigger after Prohibition, I don't think it had the major explosion that other cities had. Do you think that played a huge effect in the fact that the Milwaukee mob never got as big as a lot of other mobs? I'm sure it did. I mean, I know that it has to do also with the size of the city, but by no means is Milwaukee a small city. Right. And back then it may have been way different, but I just feel like it could have had a much bigger mob than it probably did. And maybe prohibition was a big factor No, I agree. In that. I agree with that. It could only get so big because there's only so many people that could have become members. But I do think it didn't reach its peak because of that. That's definitely a key reason, uh, which is funny because, again, one of the main reasons is Milwaukee is much smaller than Chicago or New York. But there are other cities that are smaller than Milwaukee that maintained a mob presence stronger for longer. And the key local example is Rockford, Illinois. Rockford, Illinois, many people say there's still a mob there. I don't know one way or the other, but I know at least up through the 1990s, they were going strong, which by the 1990s, Milwaukee was practically all dried up. So Rockford is not big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely not. That's interesting. I mean, I don't know. If you told me that Milwaukee was 10 times the size of Rockford, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but not much. I know we haven't touched basis on this very much so far because we haven't gotten to this point, but was Vegas basically controlled by the mafia? Like, was every mafia involved in Vegas or was this something kind of unique to Milwaukee? It was not unique to Milwaukee, but okay. So the way this sort of worked out was when Vegas got big, sort of the Midwest mobs got in on it. So Milwaukee, Chicago, Kansas City, they're big in Vegas. You actually don't really see the New York mobs getting into Vegas. Now, later on, when Atlantic City blows up, they've got Atlantic City. So there's kind of that divide. We're like, okay, New York, you get Atlantic City and we get Vegas. But I would say that Milwaukee had a disproportionately large share in Vegas compared to Chicago or Kansas City. And it just happened to work out that way because of them being the contact point. 
there were a number of casinos that were mob controlled, probably more were than weren't. But like the guy who is now most famous for having the, the big casinos in like the 1970s, he had the Stardust and he had the Hacienda. And the Stardust, in my in my eyes, is like the Vegas casino. Even if you've never been there, you can kind of picture the Stardust sign. And he got into Vegas through his connections in Milwaukee. So there was that. And, it, and we'll talk about this later when we get there. But the mob guys in Milwaukee had an option, like a legal paperwork, a legal option that they could buy into the Vegas casinos and own them outright instead of through this other guy. They never ended up using it, partially because Vegas has this thing called the Black Book. And it's like this list of people who are not allowed to own casinos in the state of Nevada. Mm -hmm. So had they tried to actually use this option, I don't know how Vegas or Nevada would have felt about that. Because... They knew that the mob was financially backing these other people, but as long as their names weren't actually on the records, they were kind of like, well, okay. But so, if they find so, the out black that book they... kept that little barrier there mm-hmm. and kept the state happy from stepping in and saying, "Yeah, this is not okay." Yeah. Any other significant differences you can come up with? I'm sure if I really went through and thought about, it, there's all kinds of little differences. But the other one really is. What Milwaukee gets known for later on, besides Vegas, is the vending machines. The vending machines is like the major thing in Milwaukee. And I think other cities did it to a point, but it was never like their central, we're going to control as many vending machine operations as we can. When you say vending machines, Mm -hmm. are you talking like pop machines or are you talking like gambling machines? Not soda machines, but... Other things that vend. Actually, the biggest one, besides like slot machines, which are technically illegal. Now they're they're still technically illegal, but nobody cares. Yeah. But the really big one was cigarette vending machines. And they were just like pure profit because you take the cigarette vending machine, you put it in a place, a separate club, a bar, whatever. This is Wisconsin. There's a bar everywhere, and every bar has a cigarette vending machine. Mm-hmm. So there's hundreds, if not thousands, of these machines. They're working off of spare change. So the spare change goes in, you come by, you collect it every couple of days. And what does the mob love to do when they're making money? Not report it. <laughs> like, making money is only half the fun. The other half is not yep. telling the government <laughs> that you made the money. And anything that runs off of coin operation is perfect for that. Because now, you know, I'm sure everything's computerized and you get the printout that you have to fill out your taxes and submit this and whatever. But back then, it's just just a simple machine. You take out the quarters at the end of the day, you could say, well, I only made $5 today. (laughs) And who can say you didn't? Right. Nobody knows. So there's that. But the other end of it is if it's something going into the machine that you can get for cheap, you're saving money even there because obviously you're raising the prices when you're putting right. it in the machine. It costs more to get cigarettes in a bar than it does at a gas station. Right. Any young listeners here are probably like, you can't get cigarettes at a at a bar or a supper club. But yeah, you could. And uh, I, I vividly remember that 
that was if you were an underage smoker, it was a pretty easy way to get cigarettes because you just walk in and put your money in the machine. But anyway, so if you hijack a truck that has cigarettes on it, well, guess what? Now you got your cigarettes for free to go in the machine. You jack up the price. So you're getting paid more for a product that you didn't pay for. You don't have to report the taxes. So it's like other than the little bit that you gave to the guy for hijacking the truck, pure money. And even if you're not hijacking the truck, what they would do is they would smuggle cigarettes, which sounds really stupid. But actually, if you do it on a big enough scale, it's hugely profitable because cigarette taxes vary a lot from state to state. So if you can get a large enough shipment out of a state that doesn't have cigarette taxes or the cigarette taxes are extremely low and you bring them into a state where it's much higher, that could be a significant difference. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to guess probably today there isn't a single state out there that doesn't have a cigarette tax. Mm -hmm. But back in the time when they were doing this, it was probably fairly common to find states without cigarette taxes and then bring them into... Right. And I know specifically like the popular places to get them from were like North Carolina and Virginia because they actually grew tobacco there. Mm. So being that they were tobacco states, their tobacco taxes were pretty low. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Any, anybody who's been to Chicago knows how high Chicago taxes can get. Right, but Illinois are not high. It's just Chicago. True. If you buy them True. in the city. True. So I could see where that would be a huge profit. For a minute there, I was thinking, man, are we going to find out the Milwaukee Mafia went legit, but then... But then you went into the hijacking cigarette trucks, and I'm like, all right, good. They're, they're, yeah, 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 they're yeah. still dirty as ever. <laughs> no, no. We'll get into a lot more of that later on. That's the thing. Like, Not that other cities didn't do that, but I don't know of any that like that was their main scam was like, yeah, let's corner the market on vending machines, which sounds so dumb. Because when you think of the mob, you, you're thinking murder, theft, uh, you know, gambling. You think of all this other stuff, which they, I mean, they did that too. But you don't often think, oh yeah, they have a monopoly on vending machines. But it's it's actually a really good it's a really good scam. You think of the mafia in such a way, but then you really you gotta you hear a story like that and you think they were actually clever. Yeah. There were people sitting there thinking about, hey, what are things that we can do to make money? Yeah. You know, it wasn't just we're gonna go kill a guy because somebody's gonna pay us money to do it. it right. They were really looking for legitimate loopholes that they could find profitable ways to earn money and yeah it's kind of a really neat flip side to the normal story i think people hear about with the mafia yeah a lot of what they were doing was things that really bottom line is they're just trying to cheat their taxes (laughs) so just to kind of wind this down i think sure just one final question for in reference to this question is is there anything you can come up with maybe even little insignificant things that the milwaukee mafia might have done that when you read about it, you're like, I've never heard of another mafia doing this. Oof. Not a great example. But there was a time where this guy got the patent to make a toy gun that blows bubbles. Okay? Absolutely stupid. <laughs> okay. And so the mob kind of like moved in on him. And this is not unusual for the mob to move in on a business and be like, okay, you're going to start paying us money each month or each whatever or otherwise we're going to mess with your business. That's not unusual. But it was weird in this case because they specifically went in and were like, yeah, now we have part of this patent. So <laughs> so every time you you make a toy gun that shoots bubbles, we're getting a percentage of that sales. And that was a weird one because that's not the kind of business they would normally 
move in on. A toy gun business? The the toy gun business, yeah, but that did happen. Did you ever find like a connection of what brought them to this business? You know, like, was it like somebody in the mob knew the person that created the toy gun? Yeah. Or something? Yeah. I mean, that's usually what it is. It's like a guy knows a guy. It's not usually that the mob knows a guy. It's that the mob knows a guy who knows a guy. Because the in-between guy, the mob will like talk to him and be like, hey, you know, here any good business opportunities? He's like, well, I know about this other guy. And so then instead of sending the mob directly, you send the middle guy. And the middle guy's like, hey, I got some investors who are interested. <laughs> and, you know, and so the guy doesn't know what's up. Right. And by the time he knows what's up, it's too late. Right. They're already in. Another similar situation is in Milwaukee as they move it into the, the Persian rug market. <laughs> and that would you, again, you would not expect. But they ended up, there was a guy who owned a Persian rug store and they moved in on him. And it sounds silly, but again, but Persian rugs, you know, they sell for a couple thousand a piece. So it's actually significant money. Yeah. And if you take a 10% of that or whatever they were taking, yeah. I mean, it adds up real quick. Right. And really no effort. Yeah, no effort. But yeah, it's funny. And then later on, this guy, the Persian rug guy, they ended up, somebody breaks in and steals his rugs, and then he makes an insurance claim on them. And I don't know what happens. Like, it never came out what actually happened. But the the suggestion here is the mob stole his rugs, right? Now, did he know that they stole the rugs? Because either... He didn't know they stole the rugs and they're just going to sell them outright. Or he did know they stole the rugs and it's an insurance scam. (laughs) But either way, they're taking this guy who they're already cutting into his business and they're just going after him completely now. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, do you got any final ending thoughts? Otherwise, we can wrap no. this one up. Yeah, we can. We can wrap. I mean, most of these stories we're going to get to eventually. Oh, are we? Well, I don't. I, know. Well, I assume. I assume. I guess we're wetting their appetite for the full the full story. So yeah. So yeah. The Persian rug thing will come back. We're a few decades off, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just hang around for five, maybe ten years, and we'll get there. Shouldn't be that long. <laughs> All right. Well, and I think we'll wrap this one up. Uh, Gavin, you want to hit them with some contact info? Yeah. If you want to go to MilwaukeeMafia.com, dot com, you can. Find me there or email milwaukeemafia at gmail.com or you can search on Facebook. Feel free to reach out. We will see you next week. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next or You'll hear us next week, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next week for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.